0: This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be back. I am Trevor, provided that, Paul.
1: <laughs> Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I was just thinking you're starting to get that down to a science, so the next step in our evolution must be for me to figure out how to actually respond. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get no, there.
0: We'll... I, I'm still on very shaky ground, so you've got yeah, some time. <laughs> that's right. I got complacent. Now I needed to step up my game, but yeah,
1: now I'm doing really well. <laughs> Good. excited to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, happy end of the year. It's December now, and we are doing a a, a series of year end shows that I I always look forward to hearing when other people do them. I hope that hope that this is something that, that turns out well for for folks. I know I'm excited to to talk with you about it all, so I'll
1: get yeah. some I'll get some excitement that way. <laughs> oh, I know I love that too. I know that some people get a little overwhelmed by the end of the year, best of lists and recommendation mm-hmm. lists, but. As we've talked about, I tend to try to just not even try. It's just for me, it's fun, and um, if anything, I just add a million more books to my you know yeah. sparse little wish list. You know, it, it never has enough <laughs> yeah. books on it anyway, so it's always good to bolster it. But
0: maybe we should apologize for that in advance. I think that that might happen. I know to us from each other. We've got some listeners who have provided uh, their favorites of the year, but. Before we get there, I did have one thing I wanted to bring up. Um, we got a new Patreon uh, subscriber, uh, Karen Naughton, uh, subscribed at the the Slaughterhouse-Five level. Awesome. <laughs> that's the $5 a month level. Uh, we owe her a bookish Treat box. and I'm excited to get that out to you, Karen. We will make sure that that's on its way very soon. I'll be in touch on there. Thanks so much for your support to all Patreon listeners. For users who don't know about the Patreon... We talk about it at the end, 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 end of the show. Don't really talk that much about it. But it is a place where all of our episodes go up a few days early. And we have certain levels, but every single one of them gets uh, the, the episodes early. Other episodes may get a box in the mail of some books or some treats or something like that. And we're also looking at doing bonus episodes on there. There is one. The very first episode I uploaded on Patreon was the... Debut episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast from several years ago, one on Anita Bruckner, which is one that was just me. So, to, you know, be, be, be prepared. It's not with me and Paul. <laughs> um, as much as that would be nice. We'll probably do an Anita Bruckner episode someday in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that one's uh, on there and we'll probably do some other ones as well. But just wanted to, to bring that up and thank Karen for her support there and to other Patreons as well. That really does help a lot at any level. And you can sign up for a dollar or more or whatever you want. Um, Every little bit certainly helps and and goes a long way and hopefully gets you um, some of the perks.
1: We we do want to make that worthwhile. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Karen. And thank you to all the other Patreon subscribers. And also, I just wanted to quickly say that I noticed on our Apple iTunes page, too, that we... Have gotten a couple of uh, starred reviews and and one comment, so that also does help. It bo- gives us a little boost in the rankings, which is not something we're necessarily you know focused on. But it was just nice to see those kind comments and and a couple of star ratings. So yeah, thank yes. you guys.
0: It's it's so nice, and we very much appreciate that. Today, like I said, we have we we have a lot of listeners who who responded to our call to share your favorite. Uh, reads of the year, which we will get to. It's just so nice. I mean, again, I would do this with Paul every every other Saturday, just, just the two of us. I would enjoy that. But it's very nice to have um, a fun community and people that are engaging and talking to us. Uh, we very much uh, look forward to that continuing into the new year. Yeah. But here we are to talk about the old year, in in terms that are positive, you know, I I know that this has been a hard time for, again, many people and hard things have happened, but we had books and we had this podcast that helped us remember that. At least uh, it's been a very positive uh, part of my 2021. Mm-hmm. And here's kind of the plan, just so listeners know, uh, we are doing our best reads of 2021 to date. And we are also doing our best reads of 2021 next week. (laughs) What that means is we are doing a top 10 reads of the year, but we're splitting that into two episodes. Today we will be doing our 10 through six and next week, our five through one. Uh, It will come out in in exactly one week. So hopefully there's not a big wait. And then the week after that, we are going to be looking ahead at 2022 for a couple of episodes. Uh, The first one just... um, what are some reading intentions, some goals, and then we're going to follow that up with, you know, what are we really looking forward to that's new in twenty twenty two? You know, what books are on the horizon that have us intrigued, or uh, and and I think those will be some fun episodes as well. We're trying to do some some different things with those to talk about reading as much as we're talking about books. This aren't this aren't going to be mere, you know, here are some books I'm looking forward to and and going through them. We're trying to
1: to do something a little bit a little bit fun with that. Yeah. I hope. And I would just say it might pay off to have a piece of paper and a pen handy cuz I if you're anything like me you'll be <laughs> jotting down some titles along the way.
0: One thing that also gives me a little bit of joy is on Instagram on the weekends I will often post, you know, hey, it's the weekend, happy weekend, what are you reading? Mm-hmm. And people will respond and I'll reshare those and I know that there are people who get on there and also do the same thing. Start writing down uh, what the book recommendations are. And in fact, one of them is my mother-in-law.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool.
0: It, and it was kind of fun. She was talking to my wife and said, oh, there's this one that was someone shared on on Trevor that I thought looked really good. And she'd kind of written down her list. Oh, and awesome. my wife goes, oh, that one was mine. Oh, and she
1: starts to cross it out. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, a joke, I think. <laughs> you think? Yeah. That's hilarious. And then didn't at least one of your sons contribute a book uh-huh. to one week? That's fun. I really like that.
0: Yeah, I like it when they do jump on there. I don't I don't push them. I don't tell them, hey, right. it's up, go do what you go do it. But it is fun when they jump on and and, mm-hmm. and share. Okay, Paul, again, we started this podcast in twenty twenty one. I think I reached out to you around uh, around the beginning of the year and we started recording in April releasing these in late July or early August I can't quite remember and a lot of that was because I I wanted something that helped keep this engagement up and also helped me pay better attention to my reading and to discuss it with people that to me makes for more meaningful reading experiences and that's what this episode is for me it's not about the best books of 2021 in two ways First, we're not limiting ourselves to books published in 2021. If I were doing that, I wouldn't have a top 10 list because I don't think I read 10 2021 books. Mm. Um, Sometimes I do really well at keeping up with what's coming out um, that's brand new. Other times I don't. uh, But we are not limiting ourselves to 2021 books. We just are talking about the books we read in 2021. Uh, It could be anything from from any year. If you read a great Shakespeare play, You know, that would be your, one of Mm -hmm. your favorite reads of 2021 is how we're looking at it. And I'm also specifically looking from, from my perspective at reading experiences, things I can look back on and go, that was excellent. Maybe if I parsed things out and really, you know, did some kind of um, examination, I might have a different list here. If I was trying to go for the best, you know, Mm -hmm. in some kind of weird objective way. But I wanted to pick books that I can remember the moment and they kind of made an indelible impact on me, both for what they are, but also for the time. Like I, maybe I was reading it out on the porch as the sun went down, Mm -hmm. something like that. So this is kind of my favorite reading experiences, you know, with books in 2021. How did you uh, approach it? Yeah,
1: no, I really like that approach. I, I did more probably straightforward books, but I will say... Boy, this was hard. This was way harder than (laughs) I thought it was going to be for a couple of reasons. Um, For one thing, I'm happy to say I read more books this year than I think I have ever read in a year before, Hmm. which is a good problem to have. And I don't know exactly why. I I would assume some of it was kind of, especially earlier in the year, there was a little bit of still the lockdown and it was a quieter time. Um, But also I do think part of it is just our boys are getting older and a little more independent. And so it gives you a few more opportunities to kind of you know, sneak off and steal a few minutes of, of reading. But anyway, it's a great, I guess, problem to have is just so many books to choose from. Um, and then on <laughs> top of that, I think talking to you so often and then all of our friends across, you know, the internet, ah, just so many recommendations from people who are just excellent readers, have such great taste. And so I was looking through my list and I'm like, man, I don't think I read any like stinkers this year. Like every book I read, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not on a top 10, but by the time I was making a list of potential suspects for this, I had something like 30 books that I figure I could have included on this list. So yeah, it's been a, a fun but painful process trying to get it down to 10. Um, but yeah, I, I, as part of that, I've kind of made some arbitrary rules where I've decided I'm going to kind of eliminate rereads off of this list, even though a few of those yeah, could have I did been that too. on my list. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's a f- couple other rules that I might, not rules, but a couple other ways that I kind of, cut things down. Um, if I had already talked about it a lot on this podcast and it, there was kind of a tiebreaker, sometimes I would choose the one that I mm-hmm. didn't feel like I talked about as much because I, I figure one of the reasons that we do this is just to talk about a whole variety of different books. So, you know, those were a few of the kind of very loose rules that I put on to <laughs> kind of help me get down to. I'm, to I'm 10, glad but, you found a way to manage this mental yeah, strain. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Real, real tough problems I have. No, it was a lot of fun though. It's just, like I said, it's a good problem that, um, to have had so many great reading experiences this year that I had trouble getting it down to 10. I mean, talk about a a great issue to deal with. Did so, you yeah, do but, it or do you have
0: a lot of cheats? Like, are we going to get, here's my 10. These are the 10 books I wanted to put
1: in slot 10. <laughs> no, I was tempted, but I knew you'd probably like, you know, disconnect me <laughs> if I tried that. So I figured I'd better be good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it it, it
0: is... Top 10 lists and things like this are, are are no fun if I look at it as a top 10 list. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a lot of fun if I look at it as ways to talk about things. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of it is kind of interesting to see what does end up sticking for you. I know. because you I feel like you do have to articulate some things about that in a way that you wouldn't otherwise if you didn't try to engage in in sometimes this just silly behavior. I mean, these are you know, this, this list could be different for me at any time. This is mm-hmm. not set in stone. But doing this and saying, "Do I want this one to be number eight or number seven, and why?" It just gets me thinking, and exactly. that's where I find the value in in these
1: things, not in any kind of ranking sense. Yeah, no, I agree, and it also does remind me that we talked a little bit earlier this year about whether or not we write in books or or how we kind of track things, and it does make me realize one of, it's a good thing to read a lot of books, but as I was looking back through this list, it also makes you realize, boy, I should probably start doing a better job of like taking some notes. I mean, these discussions have really helped me flesh out and and build memories and thoughts around books. And I know you write in your blog, which probably does that pretty well for you. Um, So that's something, you know, not that this is a 2022 episode, but it's definitely something I'm mulling over right now. Is just ways that I can even continue to engage more with my reading in a way that you know, even if it's just jotting down a couple sentences about each book, or, or whatever the case may be, but yeah, it's it's always fascinating to do these kind of fun projects.
0: Well, and we put a few listeners in that same agony mm-hmm. <laughs> when we when we solicited these. We said, you know, give us your top, your favorite read of the year, and tell us a little bit why, and no criticism just pure understanding and empathy for me when we would get listeners respond with like, well, here are my three or my five. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't whittle it down. And then I being know. like, Oh, well, I'm sorry, this doesn't even count. I'm yeah. not even going to read your, li-. No, just <laughs> <laughs> but there's but gotta be say, some perks of us hosting this thing. We get 10, <laughs> you get one. Exactly. But we would, I would say, could you do the hard thing and agonize about this a little bit and choose one to highlight and mm-hmm. tell me why you chose that one. And so let's start with a few of those. Let's start okay. with some of our some of our listeners. Do you want to share uh, our first one
1: here? Yeah, absolutely. Our first one came from Matt Keeley, and his choice was John Crowley's Little Big, which was published in 1981. And he says, "Leisurely and beautifully written fantasy that most fantasy readers wouldn't like." Harold Bloom may have been wrong about many things, but he was right about this novel.
0: <laughs>
1: and I don't. I've never read that one. I have heard about it. Yeah, I own it, um, but I have not read it either. And that recommendation, it's one of those that like we talked about those books that kind of sit on your shelf and sometimes your eyes kind of scan over them. But that made me pause. So I might have to try that one here soon.
0: Yeah, so we are we are very aware listeners that these this might have you going to the bookstore, or going online to look at books when you don't need anymore. Like it's <laughs> we already have ludicrous piles, but we're in the same position because there's just some really good ones here. Uh, the next one is is one that I didn't know anything about. And maybe it makes some sense that I didn't because it's from uh, Twitter user Neglected Books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been neglecting it. It's René's Flesh by Virgilio Piñera from 1952. And it says, it takes one thing we know, that we are creatures of the flesh, which means in Spanish at least, that we are also creatures of meat and stretches it to lengths that are not just uncomfortable but deeply disturbing. Uh, there's a bit of a
1: hook. I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I might have to look that one Get up too. Get that, sounds that one for Christmas. You know. Exactly. Read it in front of the fire. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds, oh, I'm intrigued for sure. <laughs> well, our next one is from Ben O'Connell and he says, Ben Lurie's short fiction collection, Tales of Falling and Flying, is full of strange epiphanies, disconcerting fates, and deeply weird stuff. Yes, Ben, we have a clean rating on this show. So I edited, we edited you out a little bit there. Might not have said stuff originally. Um, but some of the stories are funny yet twisted and some are sad yet warm, but it all feels unified by Laurie's light as air prose. See, these are three books now that I'm, I'm
0: wanting to read, but we've got more. Let's keep yeah. going. The oh, next yeah. one is from my wife and I, I am going to read this one soon. Uh, uh, this is from my wife, Sherry. And she chose The World That We Knew by Alice Hoffman, published a few years ago in 2019. And she says, I can't explain why. It was lovely and ugly and heartbreaking and also somehow beautiful. And I can tell you, this was um, kind of fun to sit down and read uh, with her because she was pretty invested and said, you know, there's a lot of of things going on in this book that are kind of strange. And it's got kind of a more of a Jewish fantasy um angle that she really appreciated understanding better and she, it was really fun uh to see someone you know going through that this is one of my favorite books of the year uh um, yeah. times and this, this she just finished this um uh, over the last little bit so i'm excited to read that one and more alice hoffman i don't i've never read her books but they're always recommended
1: and i would like to yeah i'm in the same boat i've never read anything by her but her name comes up so often that mm-hmm. i'm definitely intrigued. Yeah. I love that description that your wife gave too. So our next one is from seriously read more from Instagram. William Maxwell's so long. See you tomorrow, 1979. It is perfect. There's so much yearning and longing and melancholy in so few pages. Maxwell gives us multiple narrators or multiple narrators filtered through one masterful narrator, multiple storylines, powerful imagery and gorgeous prose as saturated with meaning as any poetry. What a great description of a great book. Um, I know we both are big fans of, of William Maxwell and, and specifically that book. And I also love his other book, um, that Came Like Swallows. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read that one. I have. Um, I've read
0: all but two of his novels. I still need to read The Folded Leaf. Or no, sorry. I still need to read Time Will Darken It and The Chateau. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've read all of the other ones, including his you know, less successful debut novel. But I, I do have a lot of reverence for his work. Yeah, so uh, good. All right, let's 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 go with one more listener suggestion for now. We'll get back to, to everyone here in a minute after we share some of ours. But this is from Jessica Black on, on Twitter, someone that I just started getting to know this last week through this. Awesome. And she said, my favorite book of 2021 was The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez from 2019. Says, I'm a sucker for a good romance and Abby's books are the best. I've read all of her books now and can't wait to read her new one in April i I love it when we find an author that just is you you look forward to their books as they're mm-hmm. coming out and you get kind of caught up and yet they're still publishing so you just get that sense of this is the year they're coming out with another one or this month or something like that, and that's awesome yeah. Jessica thanks so much for sharing that uh, I will look into Abby Jimenez. I don't know her work very well um at all other than what i what I looked at uh when
1: when I got your your note, so thank you, yeah, that's exciting. We mentioned 2021. I will just say one thing I forgot to mention about my list is this year, and I, I will directly blame slash thank everyone on Twitter for this. <laughs> I read more 2021 books this year, like more books from this year than I can probably ever hmm. remember having done before. In the past, well, this I, year it never happened before. So oh, I'm that's sure. true. You know. Good point. <laughs> bad, bad. <laughs> funny bad how trip. that works. Bad yeah, trip. no. Bad <laughs> no, it's it's just funny. Um, I tend to read a lot of backlisted stuff, and I still did this year, mm-hmm. but. Partly, I guess there's just so many good books coming out this year, but I think a lot of it was just seeing all those covers posted on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere. Um, but yeah, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, I probably did too. Um, not very many will be on my, on my list though, strangely. Even yeah. though I did enjoy, there were quite a few um, really good ones. There were some that I did not like, and I'm not going to get into that because they were mm-hmm. well regarded by others, uh, maybe someday. But why don't we get into what we did like? Yeah. So we're going to do our 10 through, you know, through six, we'll take a break here in a minute, but what do you have at number 10, Paul? What's, what's your least favorite, favorite? Book? Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, oh, boy. <laughs> You're going
1: to start giving me some more issues with all this. Now, um, my, my choice for number 10 was one. I think I've talked about really briefly on a previous episode, but it was difficult light by Tomas Gonzalez out by archipelago and translated from the Spanish by Andrea Rosenberg. Um, so Gonzalez is a Colombian writer, and this is one of several on my list, actually, that were recommended to me either directly or indirectly by Mark Haber, our friend who's a bookseller at Brazos Books, and he's also the author of uh, Reinhardt's Garden, and then he has a new one I'm coming yeah. out next year that'll probably appear on our 2022 <laughs> Looking Forward to books. Um, but yeah, he just always has such impeccable taste. He tends to specialize in in books translated from the Spanish, so anytime. I see something from him or i sometimes i'll just reach out to him directly and ask for recommendations i know it's going to be up my alley and uh, this one definitely was he sent me an email about it back clear back in january actually and he described it as a quiet thoughtful book about an older colombian painter looking back at the years he lived in new york city and the older of his two sons getting struck by a car sad yet life affirming and yeah i mean that's a great summary um i'll just Crib real quickly from the cover copy. It says over 20 years after his son's death, nearly blind and unable to paint, David turns to writing to examine the deep shades of his loss, despite his acute pain or perhaps because of it, he observes beauty in the ordinary. And so, you know, that's it's so hard to describe some of these books. I was struggling, you know, not all of them are plot driven and and you can only say they were beautiful so many times. But, (laughs) you know, this is a book I would say that's a lot about time and memory Um, It also does some really interesting things with time when it comes to the narrative. It jumps back and forth quite a bit. Sometimes within a single paragraph, it'll jump back and forth or sometimes even within one sentence. So, you know, you had to slow down sometimes to kind of figure out what was happening, but boy, it is well worth it. Um, So yeah, there's this, this present time where he's an older man looking back on his life and he's dealing with macular degeneration, which is especially impactful to him as an artist. So he's losing that. He's looking back, to the early part of his children and his family's life when things were going well. And then he's also looking back to the specific night where something really traumatic happens within his family. So, you know, it's just a really fascinating look at all those things, aging and time and loss. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's there's one quick quote I was just going to do. Uh, it's, Words are amazing things. I already tried my hand at poetry and short stories when I was very young and I didn't do so badly. In those days, I seemed to have more aptitude for that. I did for painting. It was in my blood. And now that I'm back at it all those years later, I'm surprised once more by how supple words are, how all by themselves, or practically by themselves, they can express the ambiguity, the changeability, the fickleness of things. And yet I long for the aroma of oils, or the powdery feel of charcoal in my fingers, and I miss the pang, like the pang of love, that you feel when you sense you have touched infinity, captured in an elusive light, a difficult light with a bit of oil mixed with ground up metals or stones. So I thought that was one of those books where it would be good just to read a little blurb to give people an idea of just how beautiful the language is. So yeah, that, that would be my choice 10.
0: All right. Yeah. One that I have not read yet, but it does, it it is one that I've ever since you brought it up, I've, I've had it, I've had it, I've been eyeing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, all right. I don't know if you've read my number 10 either, but I think you do have it. Uh, my number 10 is Valentino by Natalia Ginsberg. She wrote this in 1951, uh, but published it the same year as Sagittarius, which is how it shows up in NYRB Classics edition. Mm. It's the Valentino and Sagittarius um, uh, edition that came out last year. And this is in the translation by Avril Bardoni from 1987. This was the first Natalia Ginsburg that I read and it's still my favorite. I still have some of her big ones left. I have not fulfilled my my goal of just basically reading everything she wrote in 2021 and I'm okay with that. There's right. more more time to do that. But boy did this one just surprise me. It it was so so good. And it's about a young man named Valentino and it's told by one of his sisters. And let's just see some of the issues here. My father believed that he, meaning Valentino, was destined to become a man of consequence. There was little enough reason to believe this, but he believed it all the same and had done ever since Valentino was a small boy and perhaps found it a difficult habit to break. (laughs) And uh, everyone is surprised when one day Valentino shows up engaged to marry somebody because he is, you know, he's very attractive and he has been courting but also then dismissed many beautiful women uh but there's one issue that's apparent with his his fiance Madalena, and i'll just read uh, from the book again that woman is ugly as sin said my mother quietly she's grotesque valentino and since she boasts about being so wealthy everyone will assume that you are marrying her for her money that's what we think too, Valentino, because we cannot believe that you are in love with her. You who are always used to chase the pretty girls, none of whom was ever pretty enough for you. A thing like this has ever happened in our family before. Not one of us has ever done anything just for money. <laughs> <laughs> now, Valentino denies that that's why he's marrying Maddalena, and they do get married, and it crushes uh, the father. But the thing that I that I was surprised in this book is how it's very short, and it's it, you'd think it would be... Just about that, you know, like a little short story just about Valentino's uh, marriage and the, the, the fallout that happens after it. But it isn't. It's that there's a lot in this meandering novella that's about all of the family members, not, not, not to mention the protagonist herself, which is spending her time telling other people's stories, but has her own going on in the background and her it, it it was amazing i i loved uh this book and it got me it did get me diving into natalia ginsburg's work i've i'm going to continue on and i i'm sure that i will finish um her work very soon and then be able to reread some of it yeah
1: now, I'm glad you brought that one up. Actually, I did read that earlier this year, and I had a very similar, you know, great experience with it. It very easily could have been on my list, mm-hmm. um, and same as you, it kind of launched me into wanting to explore more and more of her works, which I, I've read a few now this year. Um, none of I didn't put the, any of them on my list, but honestly, all of the ones I read by her, there's three of them, could have been. Um, she's yeah. she's wonderful. Yeah, I look forward to continuing. I hope that you know we continue to get access or or availability to more and more of her stuff too.
0: Yeah, it's been pretty fun to get these these dual dual volumes from mm-hmm. NYRB over the last 2 years. I don't know if there are any more of those that could be in the making. I yeah. I think that most of her stuff is available from various publishers.
1: Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> great. Good choice. So, my number 9, um I said at the beginning that I tried to pick books I hadn't talked about very much, but then of course these first two I I think I have talked about at some point, but um my number 9 choice is Sweet for Barbara Loden by Natalie Lager, Um, translated from the French by Natasha Lehrer. And that came out from the Dorothy Project. Um, and I'd never even heard of this author until this year, um, but I'm so happy to have discovered her. This is one of those. I don't know that they all came. I don't think they actually came out this year. Um, they came out over the last few years, but I feel like this year she got a lot of buzz. So it, to me, it was almost like it was a brand new book. Um, so I read the whole, they call it a triptych, of her novels all in a row this year. Hmm. And I loved all of them. Um, But this one I would say was definitely the standout. Um, The Dorothy Project says for acclaimed French writer, Natalie Legere, The Mysteries of Wanda, which is that movie we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, That's, I believe it's still available on the Criterion channel. It's it's a masterpiece. I love it. But The Mysteries of Wanda launched an obsessive quest across continents into archives and through mining towns of Pennsylvania, all to get closer to the film and its maker sweet for Barbara Loden is the magnificent result moving contrapuntally between biography and auto fiction film criticism and anecdote fact and speculation it is a stunning meditation on knowledge and self-knowledge on the surface of life and art and how we come to truth a kind of truth not through facts alone but through acts of the imagination so yeah I mean this book is is another one where it has some of the um You know, we've talked a lot about books this year that kind of blur the lines between different types of genres. And this one is definitely like that. It's it's not fiction, but it it definitely takes this project of exploring Wanda and, you know, Barbara Loden specifically. But then she masterfully integrates her own life and her experiences and her relationship with her mother into it. And it's just it's probably unlike anything that I can remember reading. I read quite a few books this year that I could describe like that, like Kate Zambrino and a few other people that just do this really interesting thing with kind of blending things seamlessly Mm -hmm. together. Um, So one of my favorite essayists is Leslie Jameson, and she wrote about this book uh, this year on Book Forum. And she says, it begins as a critical exploration of Wanda, an unnervingly bleak work of cinema verite, that follows an adamantly aimless dead broke divorcee as she gives up custody of her children to drink alone wander through depressed coal country and ultimately att- attempt a botched oh sorry and ultimately attempt a botched bank robbery with an abusive lover but the book gradually emerges as a trojan horse that smuggles in deeper confessions of Leger- leger's own history a memory of sexual assault glimpses of ex-lovers and ultimately the story of her mother's abandonment by her father who left his wife grief-stricken, and nearly penniless. So again, not necessarily a a feel-good book, but boy, this is just stunning. She's, this is one of those, I'm so glad that the Dorothy Project released these Mm -hmm. books and that they've gotten, at least in our circle, you know, not our circle, but in the book, bookish circle, they've gotten a fair amount of buzz over the last few years. And it's just so nice to see something like this that's so deserving, getting a lot of attention and and getting more readers. So um, yeah, I got all three of them from the library when I read them earlier this year, but over the next year, I plan to (laughs) to make sure that I, I I buy all three. I'd like to have part of the library.
0: Nice. Well, I'm going to continue on the theme here. We did not share our lists before listeners. This is anything that lines up is serendipity and probably a little bit, um, you know, easy to do in, in, uh, in retrospect as we put these, (laughs) you know, as we have these Mm -hmm. conversations, but mine is another one that kind of blurs the lines of genre and fact and fiction. And that is, uh, Uh, Benjamin Labatut's "When We Cease to Understand the World." The New York Times scooped me a few days ago and put this on (laughs) their ten best of the year as well. So you know they they somehow have access to my my file here and and decided to take the take the uh, the attention away. But that's okay. (laughs) The book deserves it. I think this is translated by Adrian Nathan West. Came out last year in 2020, and this this book. is published by NYRB, New York Review Books, that line, and is surprising. Um, honestly, I almost put this in this slot, Gallery of Clouds by Rachel Eisendrath, it's the same line and same mismatch of genre and what it's about and, and just this, you know, such a big, I think, imaginative mind um, going around all these various topics. But I, similar to you, I'd talked about that so much that I thought, well, I'm going to make sure I highlight when we cease to understand the world. Because I, I loved this book. I loved the math. I loved the science. I loved the physics. I loved the, the, the way, the, where, where this takes these mathematicians who start to realize our concept of reality is extremely shaky Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the ideas that we have about our world and our existence are, they don't really hold up, um, under scrutiny. And what does that do to this? And, and especially when they're also dealing with the effects that their, their, their science has had on the world in the 20th century with, um, you know, the gases and with bombs and, And all of that, I mean, there's a lot out there that we don't understand uh, or that these brilliant minds start to get a glimpse of. They tend to uh, fall into, they're already eccentric people. Mm -hmm. And this just kind of pushes some of them over the edge. And so it's a book about these scientists. And the first part is pretty much all fact. Uh, uh, Labatut says in his afterword that there's only one false paragraph in that (laughs) first little part. And then the second part, he says most of that is fiction, even though it Mm -hmm. seems to read about the same way. And so it does bring up these interesting questions of why did you do that in a book that already has so much interest, just if you told it straight. And so another reason that I really have enjoyed this book is continually thinking about what it raises in terms of science, but also in terms of art and how we tell it because it's been very well received clearly but there are um a lot of questions about well if you are you know telling this book about the world and reality why did you do it with some fake information too
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's just so i i've c- continued to read about and around this book ever since i finished it a few months ago and so it's been just one of these fun reads i'll remember I will remember this time of my life reading this book and recommending it to people who um, have read it and also been kind of like slightly disturbed, but also ad- admiring uh, of the book, Disturbed, yeah. <laughs> by it, but admiring of it. And so yeah. I, I'm, I'm, we already talked about this, but I cannot wait to see um, this line. This New York review books line is um, stunning in their quality this year uh, yeah. with things like Mr. Beethoven Uh, gallery of clouds when we cease to understand the world i mean man they are are they're about the bear that we've yeah 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 in the Mm -hmm. eye of the wild Uh uh-huh oh yeah fantastic
1: stuff it's amazing no this book was (laughs) i don't know i may have to alter my top five because i debated i'm still is a little bit of a work in progress but i might put this one in my top five and if i do we can talk about it more Mm -hmm. or maybe i'll let this rest and i'll Choose one of my other thirty to replace it. But I w- I'm with you. This book was stunning. Um, I would recommend if anybody has a chance. Uh, Dustin, uh, Dustin Islingworth, and the author had a really fascinating mm-hmm. conversation that I was able to sit in on, and I think it's available online. So I would highly recommend. I, I watched that, it after the yeah, fact, but I was, think
0: I got the link from Mark Haber.
1: Yeah, uh, it might be through Brazo. So I don't know if mm-hmm. that's available or or not but if you can get access to it and i know that benjamin labitude has done some other Mm -hmm. discussions as well but yeah definitely definitely a community bookstore
0: that's available Mm -hmm. on youtube uh they've been doing some great um uh, readings and and uh, in, in this series and he's
1: in one of those as well yeah no it's a great choice well, my number eight book is another 2021, actually, um, and it's "Whereabouts" by Jumpa mm. Lahiri. Um, as we've talked about, she's one of our favorites. And this one, interestingly, and translated from this one. Oh, you need to, I know, <laughs> translated from the Italian by Jhumpa Lahiri. So, yeah, it's one of those probably fairly rare and fascinating times where she originally wrote in English, <laughs> decided to write this one in Italian, and then translated it back into English. So. You know, we've mentioned her before. She's one of our favorite writers, I would say, or or one of, you know, she has that collection that we've both gushed Mm -hmm. about, Interpretive Maladies, which won the Pulitzer Prize and is very acclaimed. Um, But what I think is fascinating about her, I mean, I loved her. I loved that collection. I loved the two novels that came out afterwards, or was it three novels, and then her other stories. But like many great artists, she wasn't content to continue doing what she does so well. And so she took this very interesting you know, uh, detour where she moved to Italy and immersed herself in that culture and decided to immerse herself also in the language. And so for years, she lived in Italy and studied Italian. And in the, eventually she came out with a couple of slim nonfiction books written in Italian called In Other Words and The Clothing of Books. And both of them are, are wonderful in their own way. But I will admit, as somebody who loved her work before, I was, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I was kind of like, where are we going here? You know, I don't <laughs> fully understand what she's doing. And she's also been translating works from other Italian mm-hmm. writers. Um, Domenico Starnone. Yeah. Is, is for Europa.
0: It, it, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I was excited about this new direction, but also maybe a little disoriented. But all of that changed this year when I read Whereabouts. I feel like this book in this Italian experiment that, she, that she's done showed, uh She's she's back to you know her heights. I was just stunned by this book. It's a very slim book. Um, has an unnamed narrator who's kind of grumpy. She's unmarried. She's middle aged. You know, she's a writer and a literature professor. She's living in an unnamed Italian city, um, and so it's just this series of short chapters that are kind of you know each their little epi- own episode. I think there's like forty five or forty six chapters, and each one is described in a very specific way, like on the street in the pool, by the sea, at the register. And then there are several that are just called In My Head. Um, and so, you know, it's it's just a very interesting approach. And, and it's very bare bones in a lot of ways. And, and kind of circling around, this lady lives alone. So there's a lot about quietness and solitude. So I'll just read a couple of real quick um, excerpts. This is from one of the sections called In My Head. It says, Solitude, it's become my trade. As it requires a certain discipline, it's a condition I try to perfect, and yet it plagues me. It weighs on me in spite of my knowing it so well. And then there is another section just a little bit down the page. Solitude demands a precise assessment of time. I've always understood this. It's like the money in your wallet. You have to know how much time you need to kill, how much to spend before dinner, what's left before going to bed. But time seems different here. So, and then there's one last little part here. She says, um, she's talking to her mom and her mom says, she'd say solitude was a lack and nothing more. There's no point discussing it, given that she's blind to the small pleasures my solitude affords me. In spite of how she's clung to me over the years, my point of view doesn't interest her. And this gulf between us has taught me what solitude really means. So just as always with, with Lahiri, so insightful. There's a lot of interiority in this particular novel that, is really interesting compared to some of her previous stuff. Um, And I'll just close really quickly with an excerpt from The Guardian Review, which says, where her English thrived on the particular, Lahiri's Italian reaches for the universal. Astonishingly, whereabouts contains not a single proper noun, nothing to identify individuals or places. Yet with a burst of adjectives, it manages to nail the experience of all of us wading through liquid modernity. Disoriented, lost, at sea, at odds, astray, Adrift, bewildered, confused, severed. When Lahiri likens a hotel to a parking garage designed for human beings, applicable to the business district of any contemporary city worldwide, the image seems emblematic of the universalist vision now shaping her writing. So I just thought that was a good little snippet of how she's continuing to evolve and try these new things around language. And so, anyway, I mean, I, I could rave about her all day, but I would highly <laughs> recommend anybody, including you, Trevor. Who hasn't read that to just jump right in? Cause it's really good.
0: I, I'm very much excited to get to that one still. I was going through this list and looking at, at books that I had missed from the year and mm-hmm. put that one up there. Yeah, so all the other books that, that we've recommended just got pushed off. Right. And now that's the one I'm going to go and, <laughs> and pick up soon. <laughs> Until the next one. <laughs> Until the next one. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if you can do that to me. Um <laughs> My number eight is one that I did bring up early on in the podcast, but want to uh, kind of go back to because I don't think you, um, I don't, I just don't think you, you went and, and jumped into her books yet, Paul.
1: Oh. <laughs> Getting I, haven't, death.
0: I haven't been done, doing a very good job either. I, I finished um, Happy All the Time by Laurie Colwin from 1978. Mm. And I have a stack of her other books that I want to get to, but I haven't yet, but I'm so excited to do that because these were just. This was such a happy book, in a in a very unique and strange and um, unexpected way. I keep expecting a book about you know couples coming together and and in their first years of marriage to maybe get a little bit cynical, mm-hmm. and it really doesn't. Though it doesn't become false either. It's just a really good positive view of them struggling to figure things out, uh, but wanting to figure things out because they they're in love and they respect the other person. And I really, really loved um, this book. And I hear it's not even close to her best. So Mm. I definitely want to get back to it. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you out specifically. (laughs) um, But it is kind of something where I looked at it, and I thought, I didn't do a very good job of promoting these books and these new reissues. And in my world i haven't really seen people picking them up or reading them and kind of rediscovering her so i am worried that this may be some someone who you know has an opportunity to come out and and be remembered that we might miss yeah. and again that happens it happens every year to to many writers and she's uh, deserving of being remembered uh but you know that's just the way things go so I wanted to bring that up, but I put her on my list because it was genuinely one of the, the most joyful reading experiences I had all year. Uh, I have a few others of those, though, actually. As I look down my list, I'm like, oh, wait, I, I was in a good mood this year. Yeah, that's <laughs> And great. partially, I think, because of these these books, they just they just helped. So, yeah. Happy wow. All the Time by Laurie Colwyn. And it again, even though it's called Happy All the Time, it doesn't mean they are. Mm-hmm. But it means they're willing to work to be happy. And I loved it. Yeah.
1: Oh, that sounds, I'm glad you mentioned it again. Cause yeah, you're right. We've <laughs> talked about so many books that it's easy to kind of lose track of some of them. So I appreciate you resurfacing that one. I need to definitely add it to my list.
0: You betcha. Well, should we take a little break? Let's take a little break. We've done our 10 through eight. Let's get back to some uh, feedback and, and comments and favorites that we got from listeners and see how many of these now become what you need to, to throw everything out the window and read this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like fun. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to start or do you want me to? I'm going to have go ahead. Way. You can start this one. All right. So I got this one on, on Instagram from David Connerly. And this is the death of Virgil by Herman Brock, Uh 1945 book translated by uh, John. I don't know if it's Jean star Untermeyer or if that's a Jean star. I, I apologize for that. I should have looked at that. Didn't realize. I didn't know until this moment when I had to say it out loud. Um, <laughs> but, I know that feeling. <laughs> it says, this is not only the best novel I read this year, it is one of the best books I've ever read. As odd as it might seem, considering the subject and style, but this novel was comforting to read. I fell in love early with modernist literature, so reading this reminded me of how I felt when I was in high school and college encountering Faulkner, Eliot, Pound, H.D., etc. for the first time. It's a personal response that probably won't apply to anyone else, but it reminds me, reminded me of why I love literature as much as I do. This is what is possible with words. And there is nothing else like it.
1: Oh, Okay, that one's at the top of my list now. <laughs> now. That sounds wonderful. I've actually heard a little bit about that one, and I I do have it on my list. I, mm. I don't own it, but I would love to pick that one up. It sounds really good.
0: Well, I know the next one's on our list for both
1: of us. Yeah, and again, it threatens to topple over all these other recommendations. It and it's from our buddy, Kim McNeil. She says, I cannot pick a favorite, but one I'll highlight is In Memory of Memory by Maria Stepanova translated by sasha dugdale and this is another 2021 book the writing is beautiful and i loved the exploration the sifting through memories the examination of art and family history i was completely absorbed yeah
0: this one feels like one that if if we read it next year might be on our lists for 2022 i agree yeah it's such a beautifully produced book i mean it i don't know if you own it yet but i do Oh, I love holding it and just looking through it a little bit to the promise that
1: it holds. I know. And the cover is stunning, too. Yeah, I picked it up, actually. um, Speaking of Kim McNeil, I picked it up in Seattle at (laughs) Elliott Bay Books. Um, So, yeah, that one has (laughs) talk about like good memories from 2021. That one has all kinds of connotations, even though I haven't read it yet, that make me feel excited.
0: All right, the next recommendation is from Barbara Thornton, and I'm very excited about these. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I could probably start reading these, these this weekend. I'm going to yeah. stop with that theme because it's Ugh. just just a given. Yeah, uh, yeah just assume that for now on. <laughs> Barbara Thornton says, I really enjoyed both of the Thursday Murder Club books by Richard Osman. So this is um, the Thursday Murder Club and The Man Who Died Twice. A good visual mysteries with fun and quirky characters. And the audiobooks are excellently narrated by Leslie Manville. And these came up a day or two ago on Simon Savage's uh, YouTube channel because they were part of his November wrap up for his 25 days of vlogmas, um, mm-hmm. which I'm in- really enjoying by the I way, too. Simon, I have fun with that, but he, he read these and they sounded delightful. I didn't realize what they were about until watching his video. And it's a, uh, is it an old folks' home? Anyway, some older people get together on Thursdays to try to solve cold cases. And <laughs> I guess uh, maybe some hijinks and some uh, peril ensue. I'm not sure, but it sounds, they sound um, really like a fun take on the whole mystery
1: genre. Yeah. I'm glad Barbara mentioned the audiobooks too, because that sounds like that might be a nice one to, to try in that mm-hmm. particular format. So, yeah, thanks, Barbara. Um, our next one is from Scott Eaton. He says, if pressed, and yes, we did press, (laughs) I have to say that The Stone Angel by Margaret Lawrence from 1964 was my favorite. Lawrence was mentioned by a member of my monthly NYRB book club, and this kicked off a read through of her entire Manawaka series with several other members, not only The Stone Angel, but Just of God, The Fire Dwellers, and especially The Diviners absolutely floored me. I guess we'll allow that even though he mentioned more than one. Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Lawrence created a unique narrative voice for each one of her memorable characters Hagar Shipley, Rachel Cameron, and Morag Gunn. This was a remarkable reading experience, and the characters were unforgettable. Yeah, that one sounds really good too. Yeah, it does. I don't know much about her, but yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out.
0: then we'll highlight one more of this episode this is from instagram from literary nomad friend i have on there and it's the boy the mole the fox and the horse by charles Maxey, from 2019 is the main reason why the book moved me so much was its evocative use of minimalism in a way conveying deeper truths and layers through leaving things unsaid this is especially evident in the book's use of color most of the drawings are in black and white but in a few pages Especially when things start to look a bit more hopeful or the characters are able to find a certain clue to navigate through their own subjective existential maze, color seeps in subtly. I don't know this one, but it certainly is is one I want to look into and, and
1: maybe pick up soon. I know I didn't know it either, but I did Google it when I saw that one come through and just a couple of pages that I saw on the internet look stunning. So that one looks like a really interesting choice. I'm glad that that one was mentioned. Yeah,
0: thanks. Thanks, listeners. We'll get back to more that we have next week on our uh, part two episode. But let's go ahead and get back to your number seven,
1: Paul. Okay. Well, we talked about joy before the little break there. And so I think it's a good little segue into somebody we've talked about quite a bit, but um, Robert Valser, The Tanners. Mm-hmm. I just could not have this. I could not, not have this book on my top 10 list because it, it was just one of the best experiences. Oh, it makes entire, me happier. <laughs> yeah, loved it. Translated from the German by Susan Bernofsky. Um, so I was trying to think, because we did mention this on an earlier episode, but I just didn't feel like I did justice to describing it. And I'm not sure I'm going to today. Um, but I will say, while I was doing some research on this one, I came across some really interesting thoughts. So Trevor, see if you can guess who wrote this. It says, I had read of Walser's reputation before I read this book, and I armed myself with what I thought to be an appropriate amount of skepticism to avoid disappointment but I was blown away. Does that sound familiar at all? Um, I'm, I'm only going to assume that it was me. It was you. Yep. <laughs> I didn't,
0: I don't remember writing that. Yeah. It was your setup that, that, that clued me in a little bit. Right. Cause I'm like, man, there's a whole world of people out there. It's not super well
1: written, so it can't be like, no, uh, uh, Zabald true. or anything. But that's uh, <laughs> true. No, there may be a whole world of, of, uh, descriptions out there. But the funny thing was, was, when I searched, I was just searching for Valser and the Tanners, and it was right there. I mean, you're, you're up there on the first Google page. So no, I really enjoyed reading your review. It was from clear back in 2009. So no wonder you don't remember the specifics, but um, what why I wanted to mention it was just unsurprisingly, you echoed many of the thoughts that I had about the book, which was just, you know, when there's a book that you are so excited to read or an author, you're so excited to read. It's hard not to be, you put up walls maybe, or you're a little bit, you brace yourself because like, could it be really be this good, you know, or, or mm-hmm. am I going to be disappointed and Happy to say, just like you, oh, n- not disappointing at all. It was stunning. It was written in 1907. You know, it's a semi-autobiographical story, built 20 different chapters that are kind of marked by seasonal cycles, which is one thing I really liked about it. We talked about some of the nature aspects and the walking that is involved in that. And the seasons definitely play a big part. So it, it charts, you know, the, um, this family, the Tanners, there's five children four boys and one girl that I think we've talked about a little bit before. Um, But I think, you know, Valser is so hard to describe, but just the joy, the energy, you know, it's, it's just on the page. It just catches you. It's like jumping into a river and you just get swept away. Um, You know, a lot of this book focuses specifically on Simon, who's kind of the youngest brother and he's kind of aimless. You find yourself drawn to him because he's very appealing (laughs) in a lot of ways. But then he'll also do these things that are very frustrating and kind of Um, off-putting. Such a fascinating (laughs) character. Near the beginning, he applies for a job at a bookseller. And there's a really kind old man who owns the bookshop. And everything seems to be going really well for basically the first day. Um, And so I think as you wrote in your review, you start to think, oh, so that's what this book is going to be about, you know. But suddenly things take a, a turn, a dramatic turn. And this kind of becomes a theme throughout the book. Every time you start to think you have some idea of what's going on, he pulls the rug out from under you. So, you know, at this point, um, he comes up to the bookseller and says, you have disappointed me. Don't look so astonished. There's nothing to be done about it. I shall quit your place of business this very day and ask that you pay me my wages. Please let me finish. I know perfectly (laughs) well what I want. During the past week, I've come to realize that the entire book trade is nothing less than ghastly if it must entail standing at one's desk from early morning till late at night, while out of doors the gentlest winter sun is gleaming and forces one to scrunch one's back, since the desk is far too small given my stature, writing like some accursed happenstance copyist, and performing work unsuitable for a mind such as my own. I'm capable of performing quite different tasks, this scene, sir, than the ones entrusted to me here. I'd expected to be able to sell books in your shop wait on elegant individuals bow and bid adieu to the customers when they're ready to depart what's more i'd imagined i might be allowed to peer into the mysterious universe of the book trade and glimpse the world's features in the visage and operations of your enterprise but i experienced nothing of the sort <laughs> uh. oh,
0: i'm worried i did not remember that his name was simon we named our youngest simon oh. that kind of sounds
1: <laughs> that sounds kind of like him uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's funny yeah. So anyway, I mean, that might give readers who haven't read it just a little snippet. I mean, there's these long diatribes like that where he goes on, and the voice <laughs> is just so funny and so perfect and so frustrating and so human. Um, you know, there's a little bit of like hyperbole and, and some Dickensian over dramatic, but it, it works perfectly. It's it's just I, I don't know. I, this one could have been in my top five because I, I loved it so much. So I just wanted to make sure that we I gave that a little bit more of a of a description for readers who might not be familiar because it's something anybody who hasn't read should pick up. Well, I'm thinking of 2021 books um,
0: and Susan Bernofsky and Valser. uh, Susan Bernofsky put out her uh, biography of Robert Valser, Clairvoyant of the Small, Mm -hmm. uh, earlier this year, and it's wonderful uh, as well. So glad you brought that up so that I could remember and and, uh, mention that too. Yeah, Um, I'm glad you mentioned it. I got that for my birthday. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, cool. Cool. That's exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sensing a Robert Valser uh, 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 conversation sometime, too. Ah. Anita Bruckner, Robert Valser. Puts me in a good mood talking about him, so I'm I'm all for that. (laughs) Well, let's see if the next one that I have is also one that you'd like to talk about someday specifically.
1: Okay.
0: All right. I know this is going to make you a little bit jealous. I finished the book last night. It's uh, Elizabeth Taylor's Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont in the new NYRB Classics edition very jealous. Which which
1: didn't arrive yet still? No, I keep checking my mailbox literally every day, Uh, hoping to see that little package, (laughs) and no luck yet. I'm sure it's on its way. Uh,
0: Keep keep the hope up. Um, Exactly. It's wonderful, and very surprising. I mean, I've read a handful of Elizabeth Taylor's novels, so I don't know why this was surprising, but for some reason, I always pictured this one as, I don't know, Mrs. Bunkle's book tone, or some kind of comedy and it is funny and it is comic but it's elizabeth taylor it's sad it's dark it's bitter it's it's concerned with the things that we do to avoid the unpleasant aspects of our lives and of getting older and of relationships and it's so well done and it's it's filled with these characters coming to realizations about one another just in small little asides i mean there's one part where uh, she's talking to a young man who she's kind of befriended, and their relationship is so strange. Um, it's both positive and negative, it feels like. And uh, he's sitting there talking to her, and she says something about the, the Claremont Hotel, which is where she's staying. is kind of a, a retirement community in this hotel. And he's, he kind of realizes that as you age, there might come a day where one is grateful for the Claremont because he's not, you know, just mm-hmm. a, a lousy uh, shabby hotel somewhere nicer than maybe some of the others but certainly nothing luxurious kind of a miserable thing and also you know he has that own realization that oh there might come a time as you age that even this is something you're you're actually grateful for mm. and that's just filled with things like that so really enjoyed it again but was was shocked and it's another one of these where i never knew i was consistently surprised at what was going to happen um, but in a way, it, it all happened just so perfectly. Uh, this is from 1971. It was sh- it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize that year, um, didn't win. And uh, Michael Hoffman, uh, who you know, our, our translator and author Michael Hoffman, uh, wrote the the foreword to the book or an introduction to the book, and says that he kind of blames Saul Bellow, who thought that he heard a lot of tinkling teacups as he read <sighs> Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, and I'm like. Mm if that's what Saul Bella said, then that's just Saul Bella being sexist. This is not that kind of book. And I love those kinds of books too, but this is is far, far away from that. Mm. So very, very good, very shocking. And um, it's Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm glad she's on my, she's one of my Pantheon authors. I have a lot of her books um, that I still need to read, but I will read every single one of them someday. And speaking of community bookstore, you can go on their YouTube page. They just did a conversation. with uh, Michael Hoffman and uh, Gwendolyn Riley uh, that was moderated by Merva Emery. And so that was a, a really nice thing to listen to, too. I, I listened to it as I was uh, you know on Zoom, but mm-hmm. I was driving. And so I just had it on in my car as I was driving and really enjoyed that conversation.
1: Yeah, I saw that come up and I wanted to watch it. But I was I'm always a little wary because I wanted to kind of go into that book without having any preconceived Ideas yeah. or notions. So I'm. I'm oh, sorry,
0: sure. sorry. I just, I just conceived your notions. Yeah. No, and, no, no. No. Free... <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I. We've talked a little bit about Elizabeth Taylor. I've only read Angel, which I don't know why. I think she's another one of those. I loved Angel so much that part of it is just the volume of books I need to read. But part of it is, she, I keep kind of putting her off because I have like three of her other ones and now four. Hopefully, pretty soon. Um, yeah. Same as you already. I just know she's going to be one of those that's. I'm going to read everything she ever wrote. So, I'm so happy to hear that one made your list. Yeah, it snuck in the last second because like I say, I just finished
0: it. But now I'll have I, to check I kind my of mailbox. knew all week it would make it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now I'll have to check my mailbox twice a day. Start <laughs> <laughs> <Circle laughs> on the post office. I know. Um, I'm expecting
0: something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm tempted. Now, my only hope is maybe uh, around this time of year where there's a lot of holiday packages coming in. There's also a small chance that Um, I I try to be careful about not looking too closely. And Mm. so sometimes I'll just hand packages over to my wife if I know it could contain something. So there's always a chance it got mixed in. But either way, whenever it comes, I'll I'll be happy to read it right away. Well, my last book for today is uh, The Sight of Death by T.J. Clark. This is another one I think I just briefly mentioned in one of our other episodes. This was a book, there's no way I ever would have discovered this if I didn't stumble onto a tweet clear back in March of 2021 by Lauren Groff. Hmm. She tweeted, and this uh, keep in mind, this is during kind of the height of the pandemic or at least a part where there was still so much isolation. She says, I'm so broken down by isolation that I can't get four pages into D- TJ Clark's The Sight of Death without weeping. Just the patience and persistence and love it takes to visit the same painting day after day and see new things, better things, how the light changes, it's so moving. So yeah, as she just described, this is this author. It's nonfiction. He goes to the museum every day, and he sits in front of these two paintings. And I am always bad at pronouncing this name. Uh, I think it's Poussin, P O I S S I N. I should have looked that up. The you know anybody who looks it up, they'll they'll know these paintings. Um, but he sits in front of these two paintings day after day for hours. He watches the light wash across them. He will look at one little corner for an entire day or an entire week he'll move to a different corner. It's just a fascinating, close study of these paintings, um, but also just the process of what's going on inside of his mind. It will take these kind of excursions where he'll start, you know, he'll bring in other things. But I mean, a, a big chunk of the probably 300 pages is just specifically talking about art or what's going on within the paintings. It's beautifully produced. There's these obviously several different reproductions of the actual entire paintings, but then it'll also zoom in on one little tiny corner or one person's foot or one little snake. And it'll just talk about that for three or four pages. Um, So anyway, it's just, I don't know. I'm so thankful that Lauren Groff brought this up. I know that she wrote in an L interview later this year that she says, Harvard bookstore has a beautiful warehouse sale where I often buy very strange books that end (laughs) up delighting me. And that's where she apparently found this. And she says it's an experiment in what happens when he goes to the same painting every day. In the middle of the pandemic, stuck in the same place and same daily routines with the same three members of my family, I found it wildly moving. <laughs> and so I think it's really interesting that she brought in that lens because I do wonder if I'd read it in a different year, if it would have had the same impact on me that it did, um, because there's definitely something to be said about you know everything going on in this strange year. In this idea of just completely immersing yourself into, into a piece of art. So, you know, I have talked about it a bit in a previous episode, but, you know, I read about, I read it clear back in March, right after I first heard about it. But I think about that book probably maybe more than almost any other book on this list. I think hmm. about it probably every day. It's just a, a wonderful object. Um, and again, that's another one I got from the library and I need to pick up a copy because it's one I can see returning to, you know, throughout my life. So a little different than the other ones I've been talking about, but man, it is just a stunning book.
0: Well, and it shows the importance of using pen and paper when you're maybe listening to these. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you and I, you know, I've edited these episodes. I've listened to them as they've come out. And I don't remember our conversation about that. So I'm glad you got a chance to bring it up again because yeah. um, it had slipped my mind. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Alright, my my number six is also one I, I wonder if you'll remember me talking about this author. Uh Brandon Sanderson. I Don't know if you Ah, you know. it doesn't ring a bell. I don't <laughs> This was kind of a Brandon Sanderson year for me. <coughs> I I got into his Mistborn books. At the very beginning of the year, I read Rhythm of War, which came out at the end of 2020, and um really enjoyed that. But this was a year I kind of dug into everything else. And so I put The Hero of Ages, which is his 2008 book, on on this list because it was one that really uh, just everything was coming together. All that I was enjoying of all of his other books seemed to be um, coming to pay off in this book too, uh, even though it's one of the early ones that he wrote. It just showed me how much i enjoying his style of, of world building, his writing, uh, and that It was surprising as well. These books start, you know, Mistborn starts with a, I would say, somewhat conventional story in a way. But I had no idea where we were going for the second book. And it kind of, you know, side characters become central characters. And and that keeps on going um, through the whole trilogy. And so I picked the last book just because by then I was like fully invested, fully into it. And, you know, I've told you I've continued to keep reading um, his books through the year. I mean, he's written what seven thousand books. I don't know, probably more like uh, fifty or so. And I've made my way through quite a few of them this year, and plan mm-hmm. to finish them. Um, don't like all of them as much as the others, but I do really like them. I like following him. I like, uh, you know, in in a way, this is a Brandon Sanderson year for me. I've I've yeah. kind of fallen into that, um, that joy of of just reading. Uh, late at night, like
1: you said a few weeks ago with the you know flashlight under the covers or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I uh, You better keep reading at this pace because otherwise you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not going to be able to keep up with him because he's writing basically at the same pace <laughs> that you're reading, I think. So yeah, he's amazing from what you've told me. Um, I, I don't know that I've asked you this or that you've made this recommendation, but for somebody like myself who's never read him before, mm-hmm. would you suggest, would Mistborn be a good place to start <clears> or is there a better place to jump in or where do you think, you know?
0: I think that that's probably a good place to start. I wouldn't recommend against that. I myself mm-hmm. started with the Stormlight Archive, which are his mm-hmm. he considered the, this to be, I think, his central like magnum opus and mm-hmm. uh, his best books at this point. Starts with the Way of Kings, but the reason the reason why I might even suggest there is, I don't know. Some like I say, a lot of what I loved about this Mistborn trilogy was seeing how it played out in these other books. So I was like able to see all, not all, but lots of the Easter eggs and things that I'm like, Mm -hmm. man, this guy is brilliant. He's been planning this big, massive work for years and knew about it well enough to, to have it in these books where you wouldn't see it otherwise. So I am curious for, you know, a lot of people that I know who started with Mistborn really enjoyed it. And, uh, but I don't think they knew about the bigger world. Mm-hmm. and part of my, the joy I had was knowing about the bigger world and just seeing how that played out. So I, I, I would guess one of those two. Okay. Uh, the Mistborn trilogy is probably a lesser commitment mm-hmm. as far, you know, it's a trilogy and it's done. <laughs> yeah. The Stormlight archive books are massive and there are five of the first sequence and he's only written four of them. So he wouldn't be able to finish that uh, right away. But I think they're just really well done. And I mean, we've talked about this, but they brought me back into fantasy in a way that I was not expecting. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And again, just that joy of reading, you know, a lot of the books on here sparked different spots in my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, when we cease to understand the world did give me a sense of joy in reading, you know, that was a very indelible reading experience it's different from what Brandon Sanderson's books do of course and that kind of joy and it's just fun to have all these various ways to to be enriched and to have you know books that that provide that uh, that electrical flow in your life and and yeah. uh, in in different in, in different amp, amps and all that you know just different different spots that they light up and uh, definitely uh would recommend you
1: get into them sometime if you want to yeah, no, I do. And I I feel like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I feel like I kind of owe it to you because just seeing your passion about this, <laughs> not that I owe it to you, but it's it's infectious because just seeing how much you're enjoying them. And I know we do have a couple of them floating around our house. I know we have the first Mistborn, and I think we might have the first book of that other. The Stormlight Archive. The Stormlight. The so yeah, so I would think that I would have a couple of different options. So yeah, that might be something uh- I'll have to explore.
0: I would be curious. Most of my friends who have started them have maybe been a little resist not resistant, that's the wrong word, but have been like, eh, it's not quite grab and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, I'm ready for the next one. You know, yeah. it seems to creep up on you and 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 jump you in this in the dark corners of the street or something like that. Nice. You know, you're not quite expecting it. But and I'd be curious if they would appeal to you as someone who used to read fantasy, if if it would do the same thing for you as it did for me. Yeah. Um but if you have fun with them then that would be awesome. And and again, the, the, the Mistborn trilogy is a pretty good place. I think to start again, because it's not super uh, high commitment. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. not short books, but they're very readable, very fast to get through. And you, you can even read just the first one and it ends. I mean, there's an end to that story. And, then if you want to go on, go on, but it does give you a sense as to a scale again, because you you do finish a story in the first one. And all of a sudden he kind of, even at the end, he opens it up and says, ah, but there's always another secret. No, you don't awesome. know what, we don't actually know what's going on here. This thing you think you've been doing, it's, it's not even the tip of the iceberg. You haven't even arrived at the iceberg yet. Kind of thing, you know? That's fun. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. That sounds but, great.
0: All right. Well, Paul, we will be back next week to finalize our list. And I uh, can't wait to see what's on yours and share what's on mine and get some more listeners to chime in. Yeah, this is a blast. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Hope you're having a good uh, December. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at Mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at bibliopaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com/slash Mooks. Until next time.